This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Noom uses the latest in proven behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good. Noom builds personal plans that can meet an individual's needs, takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching, their platform has helped millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. I think a lot of intelligence has gone into the whole Noom system. They really think about how humans live, how they think, what their psychology is, and it's all been used to help people control their weight. So stay focused on what's important to you with the Noom psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's Noom, N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living, available to buy now, wherever books are sold. Hi, my name is Stephen Colbert, and I feel cool about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, you're listening to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and this is a special episode. I've been very fortunate so far in this podcast. I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of amazing people. Uh, and of course, there's some people I hardly ever get to talk to, people I admire, but they live on the other side of the country and they're busy. And so what I've done is I jumped on a red eye and I have flown to New York City because I really want to sit down and talk to Stephen Colbert. He's really busy. He's got a show to do today. But for some reason, he agreed. I think it was as someone who has to do a show every day, I would never do this. <laughs> I don't know why he agreed, but he agreed to sit with me and have a conversation. Uh, I am sitting in the basement of his offices in his studio at the Ed Sullivan Theater. I am really excited to open up his head and look at this brain that uh, fascinates me. And as always, I am aided by the trusty Matt Gorley. Hello, Gorley. Hi. And uh, Sona Movsesian. Hi. Now, Sona, just quickly, uh, we're about to talk to Stephen, but I'm still your favorite late night host, right? Uh, yes. 
Okay, let's let's just. You're the one that pays me, so yes, sir. You are my favorite. I feel so hollow now. Let's get into this. Mr. Stephen Colbert. We don't really know each other that well. But we know we, each other a little bit, yeah. I kind of got to know you without ever meeting you through Alison Silverman, who was my executive producer. Yes. Who was one of your writers. One of my writers back in uh, late ni- uh, with the late night days back at Rockefeller Center. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And she felt the world of you and told all these stories about you. So I got curious about what you were like as a person. And Robert Smigel used to talk about you all the time. Yeah. And and so I was I, so before I ever met you, I was like, God, I wonder what it'd be like to know Conan. And then we didn't really get to know each other until the writer strike of 2007. That's right. When we started playing back and forth between your show, my show, and the Daily Show about who made Huckabee. Yes. You uh, claimed that you had made Huckabee, given him the Huckabee bump. I right, think the Colbert bump. The Colbert bump, yes. And uh, I forget what happened, but we made up a fake feud because we were all making up our shows in the writer's strike. Right. And we then, couldn't write anything, and yet right. we still had to fill. Fill time. time. And yeah. I remember very clearly working with you and feeling an immediate kinship as if you were my long lost brother. Because we we taped a bit where we're, I think it was uh, John, myself, and you were supposed to be having a, a long fight, a fist fight. Yeah, a long, prolonged, multi-room, multi-weapon yeah. fight. Yeah, and uh, obviously there was something where you and I clicked the way brothers separated at birth would click because we had to start fighting and you immediately went into the old style uh, boxing stance that people had. The Marcus de Queensberry rules. Marcus, Marcus de Queensberry rules. Mm-hmm. And you put your fists out and you were uh, dancing around like a cartoon character. And I had this immediate visceral reaction of... Um, I just want to go to a playground and play with this guy for like four hours because that's the bullshit that I do with certain people, you know, namely my real brothers. <laughs> but you how started. Many, how many brothers do you have? Uh, I am one of six kids, so I'm one of four brothers. Okay. I have three brothers. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot of brothers too. I'm one of eight yeah. boys, three yeah. girls, eight boys. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I boy, that really makes me happy. We never really discussed that uh, before. We had a really, I know we had a good time. I actually have. The Leroy Neiman? Yes. Uh, I sent we, you a copy, right? Yes, you and sent John me a copy. copy. We so made a Leroy Neiman of the last punch we all threw The three of other. us, it was sort of like a parody of, uh, we were all fighting each other, battling each other, and it was a long knockdown drag out fight. And then it ended with sort of a parody of that. Rocky I think it's three. the Rocky three. Yeah. It might be Rocky two ending. Is it Rocky two? No, two is the rematch, isn't it? And then Rocky three. Rocky wins in Rocky two. Rocky three. Yes. Um, yes. They he defeats Mr. T, and then they decide to fight each other just for fun, which no two professional heavyweights have ever done. Ding. And ding. they hit. Yeah. And exactly. they hit each other at the exact same time. Right. And it freezes and becomes a Leroy Neiman painting. So, which is why it's so heartbreaking when he is beaten to death by Ivan Drago in Rocky yeah, four. Right. That's just a setup. All yes. that whole movie. Yes. Is just all just backstory. Right. To him being beaten to death. Also, he might not have been beaten to death by by Drago had he not had a knockdown dragout fight that nobody saw with Rocky 
backstage for no abs for absolutely no reason. With no that probably, ref, with no ref to to no ref, break up any fights, no payday, or any nothing. Punches, yeah, it's nothing the like that. Stupidest thing that's ever been depicted in a sports movie. Hey, let's just you and I have a knockdown drag out for fun when no one's looking. Well, here's a one reason why it's so gratifying, which I've told you before on your show, and I've mentioned when you've been on my show. Why it's so gratifying that you uh, and I don't even know how to respond to how happy it is that you call me a brother, even a comedy brother, is because you people may not know out there that when your show first began, Robert Smigel, who I didn't really know very well. And Robert but, Smigel, for anyone who doesn't know, a really good friend of mine and the uh, head writer and sort of, you know, one of the you know, co-creating uh, uh, forces behind the the late night show back in 1993. He had scouted me for SNL and uh, at, he liked me more than Lauren, I guess. I did. I never, I never even got called to New York, but he wanted me to meet you. And I wrote some packets and I never stopped writing packets. I don't know. I think he stopped showing them to you, but you were like, yeah, nah, maybe not. And so I thought, oh, Conan doesn't like me. I oh. thought, I thought, you know, oh, I, I don't meet Conan's standard. Even after I had gone and done other shows sure. and, yeah. and, and had somewhat of a successful career, I still thought like, yeah, but I'm never going to be up to Conan's standards. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible. Well, first of all, you're not up to my standards. Uh, that is gratifying. Uh, yeah. Because, I, <laughs> because, because I'm not up to my standards. Yeah, exactly. I would hate to think your standards are lower. No, than no, no. Me. And I'm not up to my standards. No, uh, that's a terrible misconception. Uh, but you know why someone would feel that way. They would. But, you know, what happens is when packets come in, it depends on when they come in. Had I met you when we were first putting the show together, I think you would have been an immediate hire along with all these other people. You would have been an immediate hire. Tons I, of whom I knew in, yes, in Chicago. Yes, you would have been an immediate hire. What happens once we got up and going, and I believe your packet had some great left brain ideas. Uh, I remember you had, an, 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 you had an idea in one of your packets uh, that was about me growing a sustainable farm in the background. Was that you? Right. That people, there's always a question of what people do behind them in the little tableau or the little scene behind their desk. Yes. What is back there? Right. And uh, Dave, of course, had his bridges and and various other things. Every back late there. night house has a little tableau. Little, yeah. So like there. And Robert had just said the words like, well, we want it to be funny and kind of, but also real. We want it to be real. And I don't know what that meant. And I don't know if that was even an accurate description. It isn't an accurate description. I I I watched the show. I watched the show later and I went, that has no bearing on what this show became. But I thought, what can you do that's comedy that's also strangely real? So I thought, we'll get some grow lamps that you can't see, plant some corn. And as the season go on, every so often Conan checks in with his crop of corn, which you can grow behind you. Sustainable farm. Sustainable farm behind you. And then at a certain point in the year, let's say you launch in October. Yeah. Something like Uh, that. September, yeah. September, perfect. So all winter long, you check in on the corn. You have to like every so often, like you weed it or something like that. And then in come spring, I don't know what's 90 days for corn. So Christmas first of the year that you would drive up to Connecticut and get some college kids and smuggle them in like a coyote. Right. Bringing in migrant workers to harvest the corn. Right. Behind your desk. Right. I... I see why perhaps that did not make the cut. Yes. But that is one of the things I, I pitched. Yeah. First of all, I didn't want to deal with government subsidies. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of, when you yeah. start a farm. The tax, the tax implications are incredible. Though. Yes. The tax. The tax, incredible. Sub, it's, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. And. Uh, My brother has a place in Wyoming. Yeah. hundred acres. He grows certified grass. He's officially a rancher. 
Oh my God. God. Okay, see, I didn't want to buy into all that. Yeah. I loved your packet, but when you brought corn into it and sustainable farming, uh, I was out. Here's something I'm going to tell you, Stephen, that I believe sincerely. It would have been the worst thing in your life to be hired by me because you, and I, also, I, I believe this 100%, I uh, very much, my biggest, biggest uh, dream in 1985 was to be a writer for David Letterman on his late night show. Mm. And I thought that my entire destiny depended on whether or not I got that gig. I sent in a packet I really liked. Apparently they really liked it. And it came down between me and one other guy Mm. and they went with the other guy. And when I got that phone call from Steve O'Donnell, I thought my life was, I really did think my comedy life is over. Sure. I now realize that had I worked for Dave, I wouldn't have gone to SNL. Lauren wouldn't have seen me. I wouldn't have been plucked foolishly to replace Letterman in 93 and my improbable career never would have happened. If the thing that I wanted most had happened at that point, I wouldn't be where I am. And I really do believe that it's not getting the thing that you want that leads to you going on and Daily Show, Colbert Report, you know, uh, and then this show, not working for me is the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, I see that now. Yeah. And in fact- I've always suspected it. Yeah. But to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And what a bullet I dodged. You dodged a Good bullet. Good Lord. And also, I'm a monster. <laughs> I'm a genuine monster. Uh, and so, so the reason it's cool for me is that I've always thought of you as a destructively funny person whose flavor of comedy was always surprising to me. Like, I, I wasn't, I never saw where things were going with your work. And I always thought, I, I, well, I'll do my own thing. I'll never like be up to that standard. But then when I had so much fun with you doing that thing, after that, we just, in very small ways, just kind of kept yep. up with each other in small ways. Maybe once a year, just uh, email or a message, or I'd, I'd maybe come on your show or something yes, like that. Yeah. Just a little something, ran into other skiing. Um, that, I, was a, that was a pivotal moment I've, for me because I, I took my family... We didn't know this, but we each took our family to a, a ski mountain. We didn't know it. Deer Valley. Deer Valley. And it's a large mountain. And I'm No snowboarders. No snowboarders, which part. is nice. Key part. No snowboarders. And the turkey chili is. Yeah. No one's vaping in line. Uh, and I am skiing for about 10 minutes. When people, I'm easily recognized because of my height, uh, freakish cheekbones, uh, long legs. When I ski, I'm not anonymous because it looks like Big Bird from Sesame Street has just put on goggles and, is, and people are like, hey, it's Big Bird. You uh-huh. know, People were flagging me down and saying, Stephen Colbert's on the mountain. No, you didn't yes. tell me that. No, no, no. People were stopping me and saying, Stephen Colbert's here. And they were saying it as if, but of course, you know that because all you guys are aware of each other's movements. And so they were like, you know, of course, Steven's here, but you know that. And I'm like, I don't know that. I don't know that. And people, it was important that people on the ski mountain know that I know that you were there. So how and then we I think get I think together? you heard the same thing. Someone told you. Yeah. I think we texted each other. So I think at the top of Silver Strike. <laughs> oh yeah, Silver Strike Up by Empire. Pass. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a triple blue. <laughs> <laughs> it is it was, extra 
medium. Yeah, extra medium. Mm-hmm. It was us and uh, I think seven little children tied together following a ski instructor. <laughs> and we were, we started skiing together and then we're on a, we're taking chair lifts together. Yeah. And when you take a chair lift with another man, mm-hmm. I think it's the most intimate way two men can get to know each other. Yeah, that steam room or chair lift. Are and I too. and I, w- I will put I will put chairlift above steam room. Okay, because it's it's not as uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable. There's no temptation that I will you know my eyes will drop. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I won't be distracted. And my son was there too. It Your was son you was and me there. and my son Peter. Yeah, and the two of you, he had no idea who you were. Yeah. And you guys started talking about uh, an officer in a movie on the History Channel with uh, we're both, yeah, Lou we're, Diamond Phillips. Yes, yes. Yeah. I forget. We we connected, and I just thought. Then I hung out with you and your family. And here's the things that uh, just reaffirmed all these nice things that I wanted to think were true about Stephen Colbert. And then they all came true, which is, oh, this guy really loves his family. Uh, This guy uh, is who he is, even when you're on a ski lift with him. You're not pretending to be somebody, even though famously you did pretend to be somebody. That makes it easy. Yeah, exactly. You walk off stage, you can be yourself. Yeah, but I was, uh, I just had a blast. And I remembered, uh, and then we went out to, uh, <laughs> we went out to like a Bavarian restaurant. Very, very, yeah, very, very sausage and melted cheesy place. Yes, Sauce, uh, melted cheeses, uh, uh, and you would stick a sausage, put a sausage on a stick, <laughs> dip it in some molten cheese. Really? Like, I don't think, I think this no. is actually a dish. And guys in, in, in leather shorts would come by and say, would you like more of the cheese? And it was, it was uh, would you a delightful like time. Of Iceland? <laughs> <laughs> is this table large enough? Or would you like some Liebenzau? <laughs> what I remember from that dinner is, after it's like a three-hour dinner or something yeah. like that. And I, you know, I had known from Robert for many years, however, however successful you were, however your style of comedy sort of changed what people expected from how silly it could be in late night. Again, really, I think you changed what was sort of what was acceptably dumb, which is the highest compliment I could give you. Robert always said, Smigel always said, God, I just wish you could get along with him because he's the funniest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Oh, that's nice. And 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 if you could just put a camera on him just being with someone, that would it would just be 10 times the people don't even know what it's capable yeah. how much fun it could be with Conan. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked for 3 hours." Yeah. And it was not that long after you left the Tonight Show. Right. And you explained it in the f- for 3 hours with um earth-shattering laughter around the table for oh. three hours. And everybody said, what was that dinner like? And I said, it's the funniest, it's the it's the most enjoyable dinner oh, nice. I've ever had with anyone. And I, and, and I don't know how to say this, it doesn't sound like a, a knock and it's not a knock. Yeah, yeah. And it's that I don't know if I said 10 words, but it doesn't matter. It didn't feel like he was hogging the conversation. It felt like he was giving a gift of like, let me tell you, let me tell you my story. You right. told us your story. right. And I, I walked away going, I know exactly what Robert means now. 
and oh, and nice. it, it, you can't capture it. You just have to go experience it. Well, you know that's the thing. Much better it. than this conversation right now. <laughs> this Take right this. now, the evidence of this helps in no way. Does no, not no. support in any way. But it's like the observed molecule. This is the the the, the double window test or whatever. Yes. The mics go away. This man is amazing. Uh, listen, uh, first of all, we're not really recording. This is not. This will yeah. never air. So uh, don't worry about that. And so that's why. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. It's going to be really funny. Uh, I think one of the things that was interesting to me, and I, I, I recognize this sort of right away. I don't know what it is, but it's something about, oh, I think this guy likes to roughhouse. This guy, silly is a religion for this man. Mm-hmm. And silly is my religion. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a- um, I've seen you shirtless in a, in a hula skirt. In your dreams? No, the photo online. If you look at Conan <laughs> O'Brien, if you look at Conan O'Brien Young, there's a picture. Of oh yes, yes, in college from the from the lampoon from the lampoon. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's so funny because I don't know what your path was. My path was comedy saved me from being an incredibly uptight, unhappy person. Without a doubt, without a and, doubt. And I was thinking, when I met you, I thought, I wonder he feels like a kindred spirit, like comedy. Saved you? Is that is that true? Without a, without a doubt. I mean, sort of to work backwards in in that in in that story, I was saved by Paul Donello and Amy Steris, who had were my uh, companions. You know, they were my loved ones when I first started out. Because mm-hmm. when I first started out, when I first got out of college, I was a theater major at Northwestern University, and I had been a philosophy major at a small all male college in Virginia. And then I figured if I'm just going to look at my navel all the time, I might as well. I might as well do something with it and right. be an actor. And that's kind of what I'd always secretly wanted to do, but couldn't get the courage to go try to do it. And I really wanted to be an act director. You know, I really, you know, the thing I've sort of said repeatedly about it over the years is that I didn't want to play Hamlet. I wanted to be Hamlet. I wanted that my own brooding, depressed self to be validated by an occupation and 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 a wardrobe that matched it. So right. I wore a lot of black and I had a what passed for a beard and I was a poet slash jerk and I sort of brooded at people. I, I was depressed at them. Yep. And and it wasn't like I was acting. It was real. I really was. Like I don't know why I'm getting out in the morning up in the bed out of the bed in the morning. And I I happened accidentally upon the improvisation and I went, oh, something about that seems right to me. A, I'm lazy and I don't want to learn lines. But B, I like the something wonderful right away. The yep. the the pay attention and and then try to respond, which of course is part of acting. But I love the I love the um the sort of the honest responsive aspect of it, and that there are really no wrong answers because being essentially an anxious person, I'm always afraid I'm going to say or do the wrong thing. Exactly. Several times in this conversation, I already have things I want to stay lying in bed uh-huh. tonight, staring at the ceiling, going, "The fuck did you say that? Why did Why did you say that? Yeah, why'd you tell Conan he was funny? Right, and. <laughs> <laughs> I still Conan, it was cool to know him. But anyway, so I, I met Paul and Amy through improvisation uh, when I got hired at the Second City. And it was all an accident, man. I was going to be an actor. I was going to be like a serious, trained, you know, have to professionally be attractive person. Right. And those guys broke me. I mean, even when I was doing like Second City, even when I was doing comedy for a living, I still was really serious. Never break, never change the script. 
all 100% professional. And we'd be like, have a scene where for the purposes of the scene, I have to find Amy attractive because it's like a pickup scene. And she would turn around and she have giant icky teeth in. Yep. And I would burst out laughing. And that actually, that broke me. That's the night that it actually broke me. Or if I had like a pimple on my nose because I'm like a 24 year old man, they would, she'd come into the room in the scene that where I'm supposed to be like Dr. Farber. She'd say, um, Mr. Beacon, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, are you, Mr. Lighthouse, whatever. I burst into the laughter when she turned around with the, with the teeth in. And after the show was over, I went and hid in the bathroom. I was so angry. I could cry that they broke me yeah. and they stood outside the door and mocked my anger at them oh, for having made me laugh in a comedy show. Yes. And I opened the door, a different person and everything, everything was stripped away. I was totally shattered and it, kind of saved my life Yes, that they mocked me so hard for being so serious about their invitation to be silly. Now it's time for the segment Conan O'Brien pays off the mortgage on his beach house. I believe in transparency in all my business actions. So I am uh, doing commercial spots and I'm telling people that I have uh, financial needs, big mortgage beach house and I'm um, taking care of business. You We're know. all helping you pay for your beach house. Well, you don't help that much. So now, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching, you can go hiking in Yosemite, and then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want, they got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, beat. I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. <laughs> well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take Sorry. it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. Uh, so I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to That's check terrific, out brunch. Boy. That's brunch. all right. 
Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. I grew up an anxious person, very Mm -hmm. anxious person, and struggled with anxiety. And I really thought in a Catholic way that everything, anything good had to come through suffering. I really believe that you have to be- Of course. You have to be miserable. And so I was a grind. I I was a grind in school. I I took everything so seriously. I was- And what happened was my natural, I had a natural facility for being silly and funny, but that was just for my friends. I didn't put any importance on it at all. And it was only when I stumbled into college and accidentally stumbled into the lampoon, people valued comedy. And I realized, wait a minute, this is something I do for fun. But suddenly people are saying, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. And this is a valued skill in the world. And I didn't know that. I think I was 18, 19 years old. I had no idea. And I didn't trust it because I could make a whole room full of people laugh and there was no misery beforehand and everyone was happy. Does that feel like you're making faces like you really relate to what I'm saying? And you're crying. Steven's crying right now and uh, he's putting mascara on and it's running. This is getting, you're doing a lot of strange things right now. now that, that is a, that is a, um, that is a, a dish that is hitting so many parts of my taste buds right now. That is a bell that is, you know, ringing so many places in my brain because of course I'm, I'm also a, a Roman Catholic and 11 year altar boy. 
and very devout household and the image of uh, Christ on the cross is the highest aspiration is to be able to take up your cross and to uh, alchemize suffering yep. into gold. Yes. But you can't have gold without the suffering. And, you know, to the point where I I had a magical thinking. Yes. I had a magical thinking about suffering and about forbearance and v- patience. I'm not going to say virtue because I didn't, the other virtues don't mean as much, but patience and forbearance of suffering where, you know, my, my father and two of my brothers died when I was 10 years old, as you know. And well, it would require enormous magic for that not to have happened. Right. Enormous magic. But what kind of brother or son would I be if I did not at least attempt the magic? You know, because yep. every young questing hero, at first, it's impossible to bring them back. Do you know? You cannot yep. pass through the tunnel that is just a black circle on a wall until the young hero does. Yep. And I did hair shirt behavior in order to achieve the mana necessary for the spell. I would do things like I would put myself in a small closet where the carpet had never been matted down, the, the, the 1970s shag, mm-hmm. which was incredibly scratchy. And I'd put myself behind the boxes and close the door in the summer in Charleston where there was no air conditioning and see how long I could take it. Yeah. Because that would be sufficient to prove, not even prove, it's like a gathering of energies Yep. The suffering is a gathering of potency that then you can use in other ways. What that second thing was, I have no idea. What that action would be, I don't know. But it had something to do with crawling underneath the tripwire of reality without touching it so that I could change what is into something else. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't even name it. Because to name it would be to hit the tripwire. Yep. So what could you do that doesn't happen to make something else be? Does that make any nonsense to you? Yes, it does. Because I grew up, my family is a group of who I love very much. They're magical thinkers. They're beautiful magical thinkers. Uh, They're crazy magical thinkers. And I'm a crazy magical thinker. And that's how I grew up. And- I, here's this thing. Here's the crazy thing. Right. And I know. You are talking about you went through this pain and you went through this process that any normal person would tell you, any therapist, would, a cognitive therapist would say, this suffering is unnecessary. And you achieve nothing with this suffering. And I still wrestle with that to this day because I- didn't suffer a tragedy, anything a million years close to what you suffered. Uh, I, but I felt like I suffered through other things and they felt very powerful to me. And I engaged in magical thinking and put myself through a lot of torture. And here's the crazy thing. What happens when you do that and then magical things start to happen for you? You can't see because it's a podcast, but Stephen just very meaningfully pointed his finger at me as if to say, you nailed it. And it's sad that I have to explain that because this is a podcast. But 
he just gave me a very meaningful. But isn't that? I mean, look at no, where but you, that's true. But that's Stephen, true. look at when I you, said when I said when I said when you said here's the crazy thing, and I said I know. Yep. What I meant was it works. I know. <laughs> but you know what? I hate. I hate. <laughs> what I hate. <laughs> I hate that it fucking works because I don't it, recommend it. I don't want my children to ever and I don't want go through it. People out here no. to want suffering or to even engage in the magical thinking part of the suffering because I think that there are other ways. How about this? Ending up being a comedian or ending up doing what I do or if I can speak what you do is not a it's not a singular goal that you must achieve. It's just what happened. Because yes. we engaged yeah. in many things. Yes. And the magical thinking magically thinks that the magical thinking worked. It's the biggest fight I've had with therapists and friends over the last- I'm fighting the urge just to point at you again. Yeah, for the biggest fight I've had with everybody. My wife, uh, who I love dearly. Uh, my friends who've known me for 30, 40 years. Uh, therapists, and I've had many, have all said, you don't need the suffering- and I 80% believe them. And 20%, I'm like, yeah, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is that, uh, you know why you're saying that? Because you can't do it. Yeah. You know why? Because you don't know how to get underneath the tripwire. I shouldn't even be telling you about the tripwire. What if the tripwire finds out? Yes, exactly. So that's like, I, like, you know, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. The first rule of magic is you don't, don't, don't doubt it. Because the part of the thing is that the hard, the hardest part of that magical thinking for me to explain is, I used to have these dreams, and they 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 happened up until my late twenties. Uh, they happened until I got married, actually, and then they stopped. I realized I was a month into being married, and I went, "Oh my god, I don't have the dreams anymore," and I never had them again. And um, I used to have these dreams after uh, Dad and the boys died, of. And you can hear in the way I said that, that I'm echoing how it was described to me. Mm-hmm. Because the boys aren't the boys to me. They're Peter and Paul. Yeah. But dad and the boys is what you say. Yeah. Dad and the yeah. boys. So after dad and the boys died, I had these dreams, recurring dreams. And in the dreams, I am being asked to do something that can't be done. And actually... Is beyond impossible. It's not even a request. It is a universal impetus that comes from I know not where. Here's an example. Endless Salvador Dali plane, geometric plane, no sky, no features. Limitless horizon. Limitless horizon, maybe marble. In the marble, there are three other pieces of stone. One is larger than the other two. And those three pieces of stone are absolutely flush and almost exactly the same color as the rest of it. And they're so well joined that if you ran your finger, you could not feel any difference between the two stones, but you know, they were put there. Right. And they, you know, in retrospect, I know they look just like the way like a Bishop looks like his plaque looks like uh, in the floor of the cathedral where Mm -hmm. I served. Okay. Perfectly flush. And they have polarity, a North and a South, like a magnet, each of them. I have to make the North, the South and the South, the North without doing anything. I'm not taking them up. I have to make them exactly the opposite of with their your, nature. With your will. Your, 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 there is no indication about how it should happen. Right. But it must happen or else the worst possible thing you could possibly imagine will happen to you. And what is that? 
It is never stated, but it is right behind you in the dark area where your peripheral vision doesn't reach. It's always there, capital I. It's always there. And it is always driving you to do that thing. And there's no request. It just must happen. It's like the air you breathe. It must happen. A sequoia must be a pencil. So I carve a sequoia in a pencil? Nope, that question was never asked. That question, that statement was never made. It just must be different. Yeah. No, I actually think there's some relation to that and creating things. Yes. There wasn't something there and now there is. You know, that's that's the thing I like to tell young performers who are anxious about their career. I go, you're entirely sufficient to the challenges of what you want to do because the drive all comes from you. And the thing you're going to ask yourself to do, you know how to do it. Where there was nothing, you will make something and that thing will be you. You can't ask for more. I don't think it's any coincidence that you grew up uh, not just a Tolkien fan, but a fanatic. You were drawn to... Dungeons and Dragons, and you were drawn to, and I know how well you know your Tolkien, and mm-hmm. it's frightening how well you know it. I don't know as well as people think, but better than anyone I know. Yeah. The ghost of Tolkien uh, is stunned that you know that much and is often stumped. He's by worried. Your, by he's your, worried. He's worried. <laughs> he's like, you know, I had other things in my life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which one was Bilbo? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when Simpsons fans come up to me and they start to talk to me and I'm like, ah, wait, who was, who drove the bus? And they're like, Otto drives the bus. What's your problem, man? I thought you worked on the Simpsons. I'm like, ah, I was there for a while and then I wasn't. <laughs> but when I said that silliness is your religion, I was kind of also talking about myself, which is silliness is my religion. I believe in silliness and I actually believe in the transformative power of comedy. I've seen it happen too many times where you can walk into a situation and there's one kind of energy and then people are just happy because you were able to say something funny or you were to, and what you come away with is this beautiful, that didn't cost me anything. Mm. I lost nothing. Everyone's happy. I'm happy and pleased that I made them happy. That's crazy because- Nature and physics and everything tells you that if you give, you lose, if you. Well, it's like love. Yes. It's like love. You have two kids? Yes. Two kids. Did you have them at the same time? Are they twins? Uh, No, uh, there's a two year age difference between my daughter and my son. Yeah. Between our our daughter was born first and and our our first son was born second as that works out. But when, when our second child was on the way, I remember my wife and I being, you know, worried, not, Tremendously, but substantially, that well, we we have to divide our love between these two children. Like now, we have to split our love, but it's actually multiplicative. It's not it 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 doubles your love. It right. It, it doesn't. You know, one's not have two. It's two or halves one. All lose whole find, as Cummings says. Like it's 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 you give and receive more than you gave. Like if it's like if it's a good audience. Yeah. Like take it away from the realm of the personal. I mean, I don't know about you as a professional, but when I Go on stage. If the audience is good, I actually have more energy when I leave stage. Exactly. If the audience is bad and I've had to just absolutely just staple gun the entire audience to my nutsack and drag them for an hour to get, just keep the energy up for that period of time. 
I can't do, I can't imagine doing the show another week. Okay. This is, uh, uh, this, but that has to do with the human connection and and love. This is, uh, the fact that it's such a joy to talk to you because there's so few people I can talk to about this, (laughs) but when I have a good crowd, I feel that if there were an illness in my body, it would be, it's gone after the show. You know, I mean, if let's say there was a cancer growing in me, I really do feel like if I got in front of a really good crowd in front of a good theater or someplace or, or taping my show and they really laughed and we had a great connection that they would test me afterwards. I'd run, they'd run me through a CAT scan and that disease would be gone mm-hmm. sure. because some, I think it's restorative and it, and I feel. I've often thought about people like George Burns and, and Bob Hope who are like, they lived into their hundreds. Yes. And I'm like, is that, do I get that? Yeah. If I do this right, if I literally don't like, don't step in front of a bus or start doing heroin, is that okay? If I don't yeah. drink this all away, is it could, do I, can I have that? Yeah. Uh, I think maybe it's, it's actually helpful. It could be. A lot of comics also uh, die very young. Uh, but you could point to a reason. You could point to a reason. It's Possibly. Like, I do think that that's true, what you said, but I'm also telling you what I agree with uh, a billion percent is that when I'm not connected to a crowd, when my needyometer is in the red zone because mm. it's not getting what it needs and I don't feel like I'm connecting with them and I don't feel like I have this great organic thing that's happening, I'm depleted afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore for a living. Mm-hmm. I come home and I tell my wife, I think maybe I'm done. I've been coming home and telling my wife, I think maybe I'm done the entire time we've been married, which is about 17 years, occasionally. And she always reminds me, yes, I know. You said that three months ago. And then you came in two nights later and you said uh, you actually were able to change the course of the planets with your <laughs> with your comedy beam tonight. You were so, you know, so- My I, wife said the same thing to me. It was, I, I, for, I forgot, damn, I can't, I forgot what it was. It was sometime this fall and I had a, a few days off and- I had a very depressed fall from July till oh. Christmas for reasons that I, I think I understand, but may not be applicable to our, it has to do with work, but mm-hmm. maybe we won't get to where we will. I don't know. But, and I said to her, I, I, I need to, I need to be in front of the audience. Cause she said, well, what can I do? How can I help you? I said, I, I, you, you are helping me, honey. I just, I need to be in front of the audience. I need to find someone to say this to. And and to say it in a way that, that makes them laugh and and then gets it off my chest and we share that I'm not crazy to think this and all mm-hmm. those things. She right. goes, I want you to remember this, this thing you just said to me the next time you come home and say, I just don't think I can do another week of this. Yeah. You ever sick on stage? You mean sick, fit, not feeling well? Yeah. Have you ever gone on and not been able to do a show? No. Same I here. don't think that's ever happened to me. And I swear to God, I, my wife says I'm a Viking, but I, I had a car full of people roll over my foot a couple of years ago. And I pretty I think my foot was broken, but I decided it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I just refused to acknowledge it. And I wouldn't go to a doctor. It got better. <laughs> and I, my wife is, I'm always, things like that are always happening to me. She's, uh, throughout my life, I, I will be uh, something, I'll be physically injured and and then I just decide, let's just not think about this. Let's keep going. I, I find think, the audience extremely, a great palliative. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not feeling well or if I'm feeling sick, well, I've never not done a show. I've, I've gone on quite sick. Yes. 
and I've just done it. You know, I've not shaken the guest hands or like used Purell or whatever. So I don't I've watched many sick. shows where you seem ill. And I think, well, you know, yeah, that's sure. the vibe you give off. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's, uh, mm-hmm. there's only so much makeup can do. Oh God. Um, there's a, do you ever wish you had a job that did not require makeup? It's probably my only complaint about the job. Mm-hmm. My only complaint about the job is the rigidity of the schedule and makeup. You know, that other people can say, you know what, I'm in their jobs, not everybody, but there are a lot of people that you know who can say, I just, I just took a personal day today. And you couldn't take a personal day today. You've got a show to do. We're here in New York. You've got a show to do. I got literally right after this, I've got to go into makeup and I'm not, uh, I, I have only several more minutes, which is a shame because yeah. this no, is, I, um, I moved this the show is very tape. enjoyable. I moved the show taping. Good. Uh, you can stay here another hour. Um, I mean, they, actually the only problem is, is that I, my guest is the, usually the person that I don't want to keep waiting. And that's you, so. That's true. Yeah. I'm your guest tonight. Sure. And by the, uh, and I've brought nothing. I have no plans. I have no anecdotes. I did a, I did a full minute with Robert De Niro with neither of us talking. <laughs> <laughs> because That's often Robert De Niro's interviews. <laughs> I know. I had, I had never interviewed him before. The first time I interviewed him, I heard that he was difficult. Yeah. I had seen that he was difficult. Yeah. I mean, not purposefully. It's just, you know, yeah. it's, it's work a day for him, I yeah. think. And he came out and he started, we didn't, he didn't say much. And I just said, why don't we just sit here? And we did a solid minute. That's great. And it was one of the most enjoyable. I've never been able to recreate it. I've had other guests who have that vibe and I, I go to start it, but they get nervous. You know, no, you need I both there. people totally committed. That's he was work. 100% committed. One flat, solid minute and neither of us talking. It was wonderful. Uh, I do not want to keep you because nobody knows more what you're- uh, Isn't that nice though? I, I, I For years now- I just wanted to have a conversation with you and you had to make it professional. So thanks. Um, I thought we could actually have a moment of human connection. You're getting paid $400. I understand. Conan's got to turn some coin. Um, Actually, Conan does. Conan's made some terrible investments, but we'll get into that later. But I really, I've wanted to sit down and talk with you. I mean, Allison, even on the old show and Allison, we stopped working together nine years ago, much to my heartbreak, but- um, Terrific writer. Fantastic. Great great mind. Like really so shockingly great. 10 years ago now, the 10 years ago this fall. And she used to say, gosh, I wish you could just sit down with Conan because he would understand these things that you're dealing with as a host of a show. And- you, there's so few people you can talk with us about. I, I had a great conversation, a brief, my only off-air conversation with Dave ever yep. was a week and a half before he ended uh, his show here. Yep. I just said, could I just come see you to ask you, just talk to you before you leave? Because I like to talk to you while you're still there. And he was like, sure. And, or rather his person said, sure. So I came in, we sat down in a little outer office with a couple bottles of water and pleasantries. And then I, and he was like, what can I do for you? So I asked him questions about like really workaday questions like yeah. how do you how do you split your focus because you got a balcony how do you, how do you do that where yeah. do you stand why did you choose that spot which why is your desk on that side I wanted to ask like mechanical things so I could come into this space and he was answering the questions and thoroughly and with some enjoyment I like ask questions like where do you hide from your producers mm-hmm. like when they need you where in the theater can you go where you're comfortable but they don't know you're there and he was like oh and he told me where it was. I'm not going to say here because it's right. a nice place to hide. And he goes like, you can even hear them looking for you. You can hear their panic rising in the commercial right. break where That's they're great. looking for you. And, and I said, do you mind me asking you these questions? And he goes, Stephen, who else would know to ask? Yeah. Who else would care what the answer was? That's something I envy. I've, I, uh, 
obviously we have very, all of us have very strong, you know, reverential feelings about David Letterman. And I, I envy you that I've never, there's a lot of people that assume that I have this connection with him that I don't really have. Because while you had his sh- old- The uh, old late spot, night show and yeah. But you guys didn't overlap. We didn't overlap. And and uh, I've always thought, oh, I'd love to sit down and talk to him for for an hour and just experience that mind. But uh, I don't know if that's in the cards ever. And, you know, and I- and You I'm, have a podcast. And I'm, yeah, but I'm so also- Dave, this was incredibly enjoyable. <laughs> I know you're listening right now. Dave. I'm telling you right now, this was uh, this was a rare treat. Yeah. I feel so cool about being <laughs> You wrapped friend. it up so nicely. Let me just say one last thing before we go, which is I have a very powerful feeling when you were talking about your suffering- I just hated that you had that. I I hated that you had that suffering because you're such a decent and good person. And it's so interesting to me. I don't know if you feel this way, but when people have ever said to me, oh, that sounds like you went through a rough time or you were unhappy as a kid, I, I dismiss it. I say, no, no, that was a no, no problem. I, oh, that was not, not a problem at all. But when I hear about someone else who is a kindred spirit having any kind of sub- suffering, I have this feeling of, I want to take that away. I want to go back and take that away for you. Do you know what I mean? Does that sound odd? Um, no, not at all. Good. When, when I was, when I was a kid, you know, a couple of things, Peter and Paul died. I moved into their room. Maybe that would be one way. Oh, wow. Okay. I had their record player. I didn't have a record player, but suddenly at 10, I have a record <sighs> player and I had all their records. Yeah. Okay. That's how I, Got to know James Taylor. I got Sweet Baby James because that was my brother Peter's. James is a guest on the show tonight. He's he he's after you. Right. But I also got George Carlin. I got Bill Cosby. I got um. He did a Richard Nixon a fantasy. Fry. Fry. David Fry. David Fry. Yep. And I listened I to that. those guys yeah. over and over again every night. Even when my mom told me not to, I would hide the speaker under my pillow mm-hmm. so I could just listen to those guys. And I listened to them every night. And those people, uh, in some alchemical way, took it away. And in the work that you've done, every time I've watched you, in some small way, you have retroactively taken away what of it lives with me to this day. Your comedy is a joy and oh, and, thank you. And, you know, and we relief. do that for each other. We do that for each other, which is nice. You're doing that too. So oh. um, and there's nothing you can say about me that you're not doing just as much. And uh, this was special to me that I got to talk to you and let us without microphones find a time and go get some melted cheese uh, and sausage. So good. So, so good. good. God bless you. Thank you, Stephen Conan. Colbert. for another installment of Conan O'Brien pays off the mortgage on his beach house. You know, Scotty's cares about the environment and has strong values they stand behind. Plus, Scotty's facial tissues are super soft, strong and absorbent and easy on the wallet. Whether you've got allergies or just a case of the sniffles, stock up on Scotty's facial tissues so you can stop wiping your nose on your sleeve. Isn't that disgusting when people do that, Sona? I just don't like that. No, I don't like it either. I like I like to wipe my nose on your sleeve, oh, but that's... not my sleeve. Yeah. Well, my sleeve is made of Scotty's tissues, so that's a... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. That's a very cool fashion statement. 
Hey, and stop offering guests toilet paper to blow their nose into. That's disgusting. Hand them a Scotty's facial tissue instead. You can find Scotty's facial tissues that come in beautiful box designs. Put one in every room. Why not make your guest feel like a king or queen? Hmm. If someone offers me a tissue, sometimes people say to me, Conan, would you like a tissue? I say, is it Scotty's? And if it's not, I just swat it away. Oh, okay. Scotty's is better at what counts. For more information, visit scottysfacial.com. Come on, if most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. You okay. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. A few episodes back, I had you guys do a drawing contest, right? And it went online and people voted. Uh, 1,118 votes. 71% chose Conan's as the better drawing. 29%. Yeah, it was the better drawing. But Sona, I thought you brought up a valid point that these drawings were named and people knew who they were voting for. Right. Uh, I don't think so. I, I do think that I had the much better drawing and mine had a joke and it was funny. And I think a lot of people would have loved to have taken the starch out of my collar mm. and voted against me because that's no. the fun thing to do. To, oh, yeah, not so fast, Conan. We vote for the underdog, Sona. So I, I disagree with you. Well, there's only one way to find out. All right. And that's to do a blind drawing contest with the same paper, same pens. Oh. These are two brand new uniballs. Okay. High quality cardstock. Okay. You're not going to put your name on them this time. These will be up on the Team Coco Twitter Okay. Profile where you can vote for which drawing is best. Okay. I've got three subjects and I want you, do you guys want to choose what you want to draw or do you want me to just pick one? Your call, Sona. You could pick one. Okay. Freddie Mercury popping out of a giant birthday cake. Well, that's not fair because Sona's a huge Freddie Mercury fan. Not that I don't like him, but she's obsessed with him. So she's probably been drawing him steadily for 20 years. Okay, what? Let, me, let me go no. to the second one then. I, yes. Just because I like him, I don't you draw don't, you've him. You practically built a religion about Freddie Mercury. I know, but do you draw your your idols? Yes, I draw me every day. <laughs> okay. Do you want to hear the other options? Sure. Wonder Woman atop a fiery steed. Ooh. Or a log cabin with a smoking chimney and a lumberjack standing out front. I like the lumberjack and the log cabin. 
Okay, let's do what you want to do. Oh, Sona. Let's do it. Let's do it. It doesn't matter what we draw because okay. I feel good about this. Okay. So this will be a log cabin with a smoking chimney and a lumberjack standing out front. Got okay. it. Three right. basic elements. and Got it. I wonder if there's some kind of punishment that the loser has to um, endure. Maybe continuing to have to work with the other one. <laughs> wow. It's a punishment for both of us. I won't tell you anything specific about their drawings because I don't want to give it away, but right now they're both very heavily concentrating on the logs. You know, you're the expert here, Gorley. Yeah. But having people quietly draw <laughs> uh, on audio would, to the novice, seem like an incredibly stupid thing to do. That's why we're moving the goalposts of podcasting. <laughs> this gets edited, music is thrown down, pencil sounds. It becomes like a sonic environment. Okay. And it's multimedia and interactive. It brings people to the social media. Do you guys want to talk at all about your process? Yeah. Not what you're drawing, but what you, what you use. Like, how do you tap into your creativity? Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I'm having a really hard time um, drawing logs. <laughs> Oh my god, those look borderline obscene. <laughs> it looks like a dildo cabin. You made a cabin. You know, the early pioneers, and this is a true story that yeah. you should appreciate because Sona is a student of history. What? The early pioneers uh, sometimes would settle in areas where there was not natural wood stock. And uh, fortunately, those settlers brought with them 14 foot long dildos. And they often had to use those. This is, I'm talking about places like Arizona, uh, New Mexico, where there was not a lot of old growth trees. Yeah. So uh, you can still to this day, occasionally, if you're driving around, see. In the dildo rich environments? Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately, they brought them from the old world. Oh. And that's what really made a difference. I'm worried that the dildos will give away whose is whose, but I think it's an interpretation. They're not literal. God, I didn't even think I'd be that great at this. And then. It's like another thing I'm good at? What the hell? It's crazy. It's like enough already with the being good at stuff, Conan. And I'm like, I know. I wonder if there's any points to be given for speed because Sona's almost done. I am almost done. She does things uh, quickly and badly is her motto. (laughs) Quickly (laughs) and badly. Isn't that true? Wouldn't you say that's your motto? You want me to admit that my motto is I do things quickly and badly. Yeah. No, I disagree with you completely. I think that I am very thorough at everything I do. Are you? You keep looking over at my uh, yeah, drawing. Is. Well, it's it's an obscenity. <laughs> it's a dildo house. Just the the concept of a dildo cabin alone is going to bring so many people running to this poll. Yeah, come see the dildo cabin. Off Route 66, America's greatest treasure, the 1869 Dildo Cabin. Okay. All right, you're done. Time's up. No landscaping, please. Come on. You're gilding the lily. Yeah. You better put some landscaping on on, Yeah. You know what? I'm on the lily guild. I'm a member. (laughs) Okay. You guys are done. Hand these in, please. Thank you. Pencils down. All right, I'm looking at two masterworks here. You can go to the team Co- go to the team Coco Twitter oh. and take the poll. This is going to be interesting. It's going to be close. We'll finally figure out who's got the chops. All right, any final words? Do you want to defend your work at all before we wrap up? I think mine tells more of a story. Mm. 
And uh, if I was going to be friends with one of the lumberjacks, I would be friends with mine. My uh, lumberjack is a complicated person. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to put it out there that that ax may not be for chopping wood. Oh, he may have just done something horrible in the cabin and he's outside gloating. It's a, wow. sort of a, it's sort of a creepy, creepy thing going on here. So you've got the thought. murder cabin and the dildo cabin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. One right. is for pleasure. The other is pain. <laughs> there you have it. Okay. Check it out. Vote now. That'll be up for a few days and then we'll, uh, we'll cover the results somewhere in the future. Good job, everybody. <clears throat> well done. Thank you, arts and crafts teacher. (laughs) Okay, everybody wash up. (laughs) Conan O'Brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Special thanks to Jack White and the White Stripes for the theme song. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.